Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. You know, not only does uh, David Dismulchin get to be in Blade Runner, part of that franchise, but also uh, in the new remake of Dune, uh, which is pretty mm. cool. But I mean, you just you're you're on fire, man. You've got cool stuff coming up. But let's go back um, because when you were on last time, you told us a little bit about, and I saw you on the way with uh, with Kevin Smith. Um, and it was a really good interview. Really enjoyed that. Um, but this is really key because you had you had you told us quite honestly about some years where you spent a lot of time addicted to drugs. You were still functional. You were out making money, like on a fishing boat in the freezing waters off Alaska, and you were still trying to get your life back together again. But so, how did you end up making that transition back into where? You were gone from sleeping in your car uh, to being in the back of that ambulance. Well, it's interesting. Today's May the 9th where you are, correct? It's almost May the 9th where I am. And May the 10th will be my birthday, my born-again birthday 18 years ago is Uh. the last time that I used. Uh, I've been clean and sober now for... 18 years. But wow. before that moment, I was um, nearly lost my life to a battle with um, with heroin uh, addiction and um, opiate abuse. And I was, um, I was, uh, you know, as, as as we discuss in, in, in recovery and in the world of addiction, I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with this term, people reach their bottom. You know, I'd reached the right. bottom of the well, and then I'd taken a drill out and dug much lower. And I had <laughs> Slept in a car. I shoplifted and done all number of drug dealing and crimes to support my habit, including lying to my family, stealing from people that I loved, breaking all the trust in the world, and you know nobody could rely on me after years of this, you know, um, behavior. And I um, and I had yeah slept in my car for the better part of a year and a half, including through the alleys of Chicago and elsewhere. Um, But I. I found myself when I finally had the miracle of, of recovery and, and I, I, I mean, I was on the edge. I was like literally, you know, I could feel, I could feel um, the other side, you know, the night that my life was saved and I came back uh, to life and then it was a long journey and it takes, it takes, you know, a lot of practice learning how to live your life without these, without these things that, you know, have, have gotten you through. And so, I spent about five years in Chicago, just working a day, you know, a job in in telemarketing and sales. And I was working at a movie theater, and I and I and I and I had the opportunity because I had had a a, a life in the theater before my my bottom had dropped out as an addict. And some dear friends who are very talented theater directors really encouraged me to get back up on the boards. And it, and I always felt that being a storyteller was my calling. I just didn't know if I'd ever get to do it again as an actor. I was always hoping at least I would get to write or write poems or, you know, somehow learn how to write screenplays or plays. And, and then I had this chance to get back on stage and I did it. And then next thing I knew, a casting director saw, you know, a play that I was in that had good reviews. And I got brought in for an audition for a commercial, which I I booked and started making money as an actor, and then what was the commercial for? Was it a Chicago it commercial or Singular Wireless at the time? Oh, cool. Then became AT and T. They had a drop call uh, campaign, which this is amazing. I'd never really worked on camera before, and I get cast in this commercial, which turned into thirty or 
which turned into just, it was a very, very popular commercial where I'm on the phone with my father-in-law and the call drops and I think that he's mad and actually he's laughing at my joke and I'm saying, Jim, Jimbo, Jimmy Boy. <laughs> I remember and I this. That's yeah, so f- very popular commercial. I remember I that. It paid me well. I was all yeah. like, oh my God. So here I was at that point, six, seven years clean. And finally, I'm like, God, it's, it's all these promises, you know, the, the promise of recovery, the promise of a new life. The promise isn't this guarantee that you're going to have some kind of financial success or even that your career dreams are going to come true, but you will live the life that I believe you were intended to live when you, if you can free yourself. So anybody listening out there who doesn't think that it's possible, I promise you there is no one that thought it was less possible than me. And then it, it really did happen. I reached out for the help and I went to the meetings and I did the deal and I got there and, um, and also had a lot of psych issues that I had to deal with and address. And those are something that I'll continue to work on for the rest of my life. But needless to say, I did this commercial uh, and that director of that commercial is a gentleman named Chris Smith, who who also directed a film called American Movie, which if you haven't seen it, everyone needs to look up and watch it's a genius piece of filmmaking. And he was one of my favorite filmmakers. And he ended up casting me in a bunch of commercials. So I kind of learned a lot of my, you know, I learned how to transfer the skills that I'd learned as an actor on stage to the camera by doing these commercials. And, um, and then all of a sudden, the word comes out that they're going to be shooting the next Batman film. And I was a huge fan of Batman Begins, and I'd become a big devotee of Christopher Nolan's work. And I thought, oh, my goodness, God, here is my chance. I'm this lifelong comic book collector. I'm a huge fan of, of Batman and especially of the Joker. And um, every actor, especially every character actor in Chicago, and that's all Chicago is, is character actors, which, by the way, you mentioned Sean Gunn earlier. I had yeah. known Sean. We studied at the same theater conservatory back in the day in Chicago, as well as, um, which, oh my gosh. Which, which one? DePaul. The, the, oh, the theater DePaul. school at DePaul sure. University, which is such an amazing school. And every, you know, so many people I look up to and love studied there from Carl Malden back in the day when it was oh, still called the Goodman School of Drama to John C. Riley to Judy Greer, Jillian uh, Anderson, uh, PJ Burr. It's just an, a, a yeah. wonderful place. Anyway, so I, I get to go to this big casting call. And it's the, the role that I'm told I'm auditioning for is a character named Grumpy. And when I go, I realize everyone there is for the same thing. And this is for that opening heist sequence in the dark night when the, when the right. clowns are robbing the bank. So I prepare this scene, which is a dummy scene, which means fake scene, you know, that they've written just in case it leaks. So people don't know what it's you know going to be. Right. And I, I, I felt like this was fate. This was meant to be. And I went and the casting director's assistant actually recognized me from the, the silly commercial that I've been doing. He said, hey, we were just talking about you. <laughs> I want you to meet John Papsidera, who's a very big Hollywood casting director. And he said, nice to meet you, man. And, and, he, and, he, and he said, let me see your, you know, your audition. And I did my audition. He said, I really love what you're doing. He said, you've got to take all this stuff that you're doing with your body, your voice, your, your face, and just put it in your eyes. It was such great direction. He said, mm. I want you to meet, I want you to meet you know, Chris, Christopher Nolan, I want him to see you read, but you've got to take all the stuff you're doing and put it in your eyes. And that's a big difference between theater acting where you're sure. trying to make sure you reach the right. back of the house and, and work right. with the camera. So I said, so I went home and I worked on that note and I came back the next day. The next day it was only me in the lobby. I was like, Oh boy. Um, and I did get to meet Christopher Nolan. I did this audition and then, um, you know, I heard that they were shooting that bank high scene a week later, and sure enough, they did. And I was devastated because I thought, I can't believe it. That was supposed to be my big chance. But you know what? I learned in recovery. You take it a day at a time. And I, 
I went back to my job, which I had at the time doing the production of Othello at a wonderful theater in Chicago. And, um, and four months later, Ian, four months later, as Othello closes, and I have no idea what my next job is going to be, I get the call that I get to go be in the dark night. And I was That's playing so a totally cool. new role that I'd never been told about. And it was actually kept secret to me until I pretty much was filming and the character had very few lines, but I'd created this whole character based on my history with um, an understanding of the Joker and the kinds of people that, you know, he would have recruited. Right. And, and it worked so well with what was there in the, in the script. And, um, and I found myself standing there, you know, in downtown on LaSalle Street with thousands of crew and extras. And I'm standing next to Heath Ledger, who's in his Joker makeup. And I look and I look and I get very emotional still thinking about this story. And I've told you this before, but I look down and I'm standing feet away from an alley where I had slept in my car oh, um, and had been sick and had sweat and had, you know, contemplated the things I needed to do to score. And it was like a whole other life ago. And yet I was looking through the porthole, you know, I was looking through this magic mirror in my past. And I was looking at where I was standing in that moment. And, um, and I'm telling you again, I just say it and I'll say it many more times, but anyone who's listening who doesn't believe in the power of miracles, I'm not telling you that water is going to turn into wine and I'm not telling you if you're paralyzed, you're going to walk tomorrow, but they, they are real. And, um, and then I, and then I'm sitting there doing, you know, a, a scene with this incredible, powerful actor who, who just scared the living poop out of me and it was fantastic. <laughs> and, um, and it started me on my path and my dream and, and, and I moved to Los Angeles soon after finally had that you know movie credit in my belt and uh right. and a great one yeah. you know and that, that whole thing about putting it all in your eyes that really explains why that scene pops because that's you like i said you don't have that many lines the intensity of your face it does t it like completely tells a story it harkens back to what you had said even earlier in the hour when we were talking about evil and there was something about that while you look at this and this guy has just done this horrible thing, you also know he's completely out of his gourd. And so it's hard in some sense, you kind of feel some sympathy that he's been manipulated by the Joker in his insanity. And you've got that all wrapped up in a facial expression. Well, thank you, my friend. And I, and I'm so grateful that I had, you know, and, 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 and the director, <clears throat> he got, he's such a fascinating person to be around, but his, yeah. he side coaches you while you're working and he, he encourages you, you know, just off, he was, he was standing only a few feet away from where we were playing the scene. And he was, you know, incredibly gracious to me. And he treated me like I belonged, even though I was shaking, quite literally shaking, right. trembling with, with nerves and fear. And, uh, he definitely made me feel like I belonged, but this this concept we could talk about it for a lifetime, but I'm fascinated by the concept of possession, and yep. I am I am interested and fascinated by like you know age old and mythological and you know kind of religious connotations around that, but also the idea of of possession when you're thinking about people under you know um, under control of, of mental yeah. illness, the struggle of of delusion, and who is who is inside of that capsule and who is struggling to get out. And that was the way that I chose to play that character was this idea that he, there was many things he would have said if he had the ability, but because of, you know, the issues he was dealing with that were blocking him psychologically, he could just giggle. And, um, yeah. and that, that's, that, that terrifies me. And, and I've been so fortunate, my friend to like 
play these different roles where, you know, someone said to me, oh, man, you scared me so bad in right. pri- Prisoners or Dark Knight. And I think right. those characters are scary for certain. But to me, that I... It was it was quite sad actually in bo- inhabiting them um, because uh, to me they were you know people that I have empathy for sympathy for I think. and and in some part something that you had been in yeah. that you yeah. had been you know to it kind of all sums up in the expression we say somebody has their personal demons and mm-hmm. we so is it really demonic I don't know but it, what it really is so often is when you were talking about the psych issues which you had to overcome is that when we turn to substances to self-medicate and instead of plowing through we we create these you know circuitous routes to us to a kind of par and it but the par only lasts for a little while and then we're back underneath you know trying to find our way back up again and And I, I never, you know, I never experienced any of this personally, but I've been around this my whole life with so many friends who have been in recovery. And I think that idea of confronting our demons, that's, it's the hardest thing that anybody can do. And, you know, there's this wonderful passage um, uh, from the, from the Gnostic gospel of, of Thomas. It's not, obviously canonical it's not in the bible but it's true and the 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 expression is something which jesus is quoted as saying which is bring forth that which is inside you and it will save you don't bring forth that which is inside you and it will kill you and i think it is never more true than people who have who are using you know to try to get around confronting past issues Absolutely. I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, I, I think it's funny, too, when you think about um, all these incredible experiences I have, and I'm such a what we call a grateful addict, and most people I know who are mm. in recovery, you know, they talk about their addiction mm. with, with gratitude. There's a, there's a, there's a phrase in the term that, that we're all familiar with, necessary evil, um, and I sometimes think back to some of the, the places that I had to go or the things that I saw when I was using, or even the, the, the allure in those beginning few years when using um, wasn't the hell that it became, when it was right. that, you know, you, you talk about the Timothy Leary stuff and the doors right. of perception and how many doors did I open and things that I saw and connections that I made um, as I started to dance with that fire, and then the fire consumed me, and then it became my way of processing and dealing, um, but... Necessary evil is interesting, and, and the demons, oh man, the battling the demons from within, and that shadow person from within, and you think about the yeah. human, you know, concept of sure. it, you also think in the supernatural concept of it, and, and during the time that, I mean, my drug of choice during those years when I was hardcore and I was lost um, was heroin, but, but I did, um, you know, get caught up in, in, in speed as well, and I was running at one point drugs from Chicago down into the Midwest because, you know, heroin sold well, you know, if you could get down to Kansas and Missouri and, and then speed, which wasn't as, as readily available in Chicago was more valuable there. Now, of course, that seems like on paper, a good, a good way to, you know, keep yourself afloat. Of course, I would do all of it on my journey between, you know, locations. So I never ended up uh, getting my head above water, but, um, I, I I I grew up, you know, near where you live now, and right. um, so 
some of the things that I that I saw out there, man, and and and, it, and late night conversations and thinking back on those, and you know, I have uh, my wife who's never really touched a single drug in her life, you know, is we'll have these conversations and then the things that I that I saw and experienced were they delusions, were they necessary evils that I needed to right. see, were they. I don't know. I have a I have a lot of thoughts about the shadow people, and I'm not saying that they only existed around the Midwest and in the heartland. But um, what was I seeing? Was I seeing a yeah. reflection of myself and that part of myself that had come out that I had let out that I needed that was killing me? Love this conversation that, that I could have killed. You know that that gospel of Thomas. Yeah. Really, really it's a, a it, it's a powerful piece, isn't it? And it's like it. it I mean, you, we can debate the original language and what the exact words are, but I think the core of that is so interesting because I believe that speaks to all of us. It, it speaks to having a happy marriage. It, hap- it speaks to being happy where you are. It, ha- it speaks to having, you know, satisfied with your children and being able to relate to them as a parent and then later on is, is in some ways an equal. I mean, if we don't get rid of these demons that we all inherit, you know, one way or another, we don't contextualize them, they'll drive us all crazy and then they become infecting around other people as well. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.